You got your Bibles with you tonight? By the way, we appreciate those that stick around after they work so hard. We had a lot of people work this afternoon, and it's a tiring time. And I prayed with you, and I prayed for you as you were working this afternoon. And I can truthfully say that the spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. And so I sat in my chair, took me a nap. Otherwise, I ain't got no zip left on Sunday nights. And sometimes I don't have any anyway. So anyway, we're doing the best we can with what the Lord's allowed us. Now, we're in the, the epistle of First, First Peter. That means it's a letter. An epistle is a fancy name for a letter, and you learn that when you go to Bible college. So anyways, we're in the, the letter that, write, that Peter writes. And by the way, for those of you that have never heard this, epistles are not the wives of the apostles. <laughs> so anyways, you need to know that because sometimes that's the way it goes and that's what people think and that's not the way it is, okay? So we're going to read a couple verses together. Chapter 2, verse 4. All right? How do I sound? Do I sound all right? Everybody thinks I sound, well, you sound like you always do. Pastor, just keep talking. Shut up. Get done. Let's go home. All right, verse 4. To whom... By the way, the whom is modifying the Lord in the verse before. So you may want to write whom and write up the Lord in verse 3. That's who it's talking about. Okay? To whom coming, it means when you came to Christ. He says, as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. You also are a lively stone. You're built up in a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scriptures, behold, I lay in Zion, that's, I know it says S in yours, but that's what it's talking about. It's talking about Jerusalem. I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, Precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he's precious. How many have noticed that Peter said precious three times? You ever think repeated words are important in the Bible? You think God stutters? I don't think so either. So if he says something a couple, three times, it's because it's important. So tonight we're going to talk about Jesus is precious, okay? I heard a story years ago, and I think I've probably told it here. I don't write down when I tell stories, but I hope you don't get tired of some of these stories. Some of them are really good. It's supposed to be a true story. It was a story of a Chinese missionary who was a medical missionary many years ago in China. Whenever somebody would come to him for treatment, he always would treat him, and sooner or later he'd tell him about Jesus. And that was his avenue that he used to witness and to tell folks about Christ. Well, one morning before the clinic doors opened, there came an old lady. She was stooped with age. And the missionary could tell by the dust on her feet and her clothing that she had traveled a long ways to come see him. That morning he treated her, and as always, he told her about Christ. And the missionary said, as the rose opens to receive the rays of the noonday sun, so her heart opened to receive Jesus Christ 
as her savior. He said her tears made little rivulets down her dusty cheeks when she opened her heart to Christ. Several weeks later, there was a knock at the missionary's door. When he opened the door, he found this same old woman who had come to see him a couple of weeks before. And she said, sir, she said, you saved me. And I know that he lives in my heart and he's made my life happy. But I've forgotten his name. Can you tell me his name again? And the missionary repeated it to her and he said, his name's Jesus. And the little lady left his office that day saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Supposedly a true story. Leela Long heard that story and she wrote, Jesus is the sweetest name I know. And he's just the same as his lovely name. You've heard the song. You've heard it sung much better than that. But isn't that a wonderful story? You say, Pastor, what are you saying? Well, when you read Peter's epistle this evening, one of the things you're going to say is that Jesus Christ is precious. And he is. He is. Now, three times Peter makes that reference. And that word precious is a word that has just an incredible meaning to it. We're going to look at that. Peter says in verse number three, if you'll remember what Ryan taught the last time you were together, he says, you have tasted that the Lord, notice, is gracious. Man, if you're saved, if you've tasted of the Lord, one thing you know, our God is a gracious God. And now Peter can't just say just that. He says, you know what? Let me tell you at least three more things. He's precious. He's precious. He's precious. And so tonight we're going to talk about that and we're going to show you why Jesus is so precious. First of all, Jesus is precious because there's no rival to Jesus. Beginning in verse four, Paul, uh, Peter uses some Old, Tested, Old Testament imagery. Now that's tough on us Gentiles, isn't it? I don't know about you, but the, the trouble with some of the stories they'll use, you've got to be kind of smart in the Old Testament to understand what they're saying in the New Testament. And that's what he's doing here in this verse. And he's basically going to go back and use some of this imagery that uh, basically says this, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. We were mentioned that fact when Jacob was on his deathbed, Genesis chapter number 49, he told G Joseph these words. He said, there's a sure foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone. Genesis chapter 49, that's the first time we're introduced to that thought in the Bible. And then in Isaiah chapter 28 and verse number 16, the Bible talks about a sure foundation a tried stone. And as you go further in the scriptures, you're going to find in Psalm 118, verse 22, that the builders rejected that stone. And then as you read on, you're going to come to Israel. And the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 8, that this sure foundation had become a stone of stumbling. What's it saying? It's saying that Jesus Christ, that sure foundation, that cornerstone, to the nation of Israel was a stone that they tripped over. 
it was a stone like walking in this church tonight. Be careful as you go and come. Charlie's going to be our OSHA person back there, making sure you don't fall down because there's a weird little hump right there. We're going to have kids taking face plants on that all week long. We can maybe get it on the church website. But anyway, <laughs> he's basically saying that Jesus Christ was that stone that became a snare, that stone that they tripped over. He became uh, not just a humble stone, but he became a rock of offense. And Israel had a hard time with that. Incidentally, when they refused Jesus Christ as their Savior, they rejected the very rock that they continue to seek for even today. And yet the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, it, 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 verse number, no, I can't remember. But anyways, it says that he was that rock that Israel followed they all drank from the same spiritual rock. Who was that rock? The Bible says that rock was Christ. And so in the scripture, Jesus is referred to, notice, as a stone. But let's look at, his, let's look at this passage. The Bible says in verse 4, he says, To whom, that's talking about Jesus, coming as unto a living stone. Notice the Bible says that he is precious. Get a hold of that. It speaks here of something that's valued. It speaks here of something that's esteemed. It's saying that Jesus Christ has no equal. When you talk about Jesus, there's no one that has the value that Jesus has. Jesus is without a rival. No one's in his category. That's the idea. Charles Wesley wrote, Jesus, the name high above overall, in hell and earth and sky. Angels and men before him fall and devils fear to fly. I say he's high over all and above all because he has no rival to his person. Christ is above all. You see, the bottom line is this. Jesus is, is so valuable, so precious that nothing, nothing can rival Jesus Christ. Now, look at the way the verse reads. To whom? Jesus, it says, notice, that we are coming. Now, how many of you, when you got saved, you gave your testimony, you said, well, I came to Christ as a six-year-old boy. That's my testimony. I was in church, and after the service was over, I came and met the preacher, and I got saved in a side room on my knees with an open Bible in a primary Sunday school class. And I came to Christ as a six-year-old boy. And that's exactly what he's talking about. He's saying that Jesus Christ, he says, we've tasted, we've found that Jesus is gracious. And he says, and that coming, that coming to Christ. Boy, I tell you what, isn't it wonderful that Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. He said, I'll give you rest. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father sends and draws them. Isn't it wonderful that the Bible says, for this reason I said to you all that no one can come to me unless it's granted to him from the Father. Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 37, he says, if any man is thirsty, let him come unto me. Let me tell you something. If you're here this evening, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, Jesus says, come. 
Jesus says, come to Christ. Jesus says, hey, I'm what you're looking for. And by the way, there's no rival to me. I'm precious. I'm highly esteemed. I'm valuable. There's no one that has what I have to offer. You see, the bottom line is we come to a Jesus and his rival is there's no rival to his person. So Paul, uh, Peter writes it this way. He says, to whom coming as unto a living stone. Now, I'll be honest with you. There are some things I read in the Bible every once in a while. I do a double take because I've been alive now almost 65 years. And one thing I've never met in my whole life is a living stone. I've seen people as dead as a dead stone. Stone dead. Yes or no? How many know what I'm talking about? I've seen some people that (laughs) their head was as... (laughs) Well, we're not going to go there. <laughs> some, of you, some of you probably heard that one too. But the bottom line is what the Bible says that Jesus is a living stone. Wow. That's almost like a paradox. Come on, think about it. Doesn't that sound like a paradox? How could Jesus be a stone and at the same time be a living stone? Well, when you study this passage, the Bible tells us very clearly that Jesus Christ is that one that died but was risen from the dead. He didn't just die as the Messiah. He didn't just die as a stone of stumbling. This was a stone that was buried in the grave and three days later, Jesus Christ came up out of the grave. And listen to me, we serve a living Savior. He's a living stone. Think about that. And the Bible says, I came. I accepted this Jesus, this this stone of offense, this stumbling stone. But by the way, he's a living stone. He's as much alive today as he was 2,000 years ago on Easter Sunday morning. Went up from the grave, he arose. You see, we have a living stone The Bible says there's no rival to that. How could you ever in your whole life ever find a living stone if it wasn't Jesus Christ? There's no such thing but. You see, the Bible says we came, notice, unto a living stone who was disallowed. He was disallowed indeed of men. You know the thing what that's talking about there, it's talking about the nation of Israel. Uh, I I didn't have time to show you this, but the Bible said in Mark chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, that when Jesus got done teaching in Mark chapter 14, verse number 1 and 2, the Bible said that those elders of Israel decided that they had to put Jesus away. They decided that Jesus had to die. They decided that Jesus couldn't live and they were going to do everything in their power to kill Jesus Christ. You see, they, they, that word disallowed is an interesting word because it's the idea of adding up one column and adding up another column and coming up with a calculation. And they basically said, we've looked at his credentials, we looked at his person, and the bottom line is, that's not the Messiah. He doesn't calculate right. We're disallowing him because he doesn't match the Messiah that we're looking for. We're looking for a Messiah that'll throw off the, 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 the armies of, of, of Rome. We're looking for a Messiah that'll come and sit on David's throne. We're looking for a Messiah that'll come and lead us to victory like we experienced under David. 
And they put all their calculations together and they said, you know what? Bottom line is, he can't be the Messiah. So they disallowed him. That's what the word means. The scripture says that we came to Jesus as a living stone, disallowed, disallowed indeed of men, the men of Israel. But not only the men of Israel, there are people even in our society today that basically say, I can't buy that. I can't buy that a man died on the cross for my sins. I can't buy that that man was was put in a tomb. And I can't buy the fact that on the third day that he came up out of the grave. I remember witnessing to a man many years ago and and I, I was trying to get the gospel across to him and I was really struggling and I was trying to make sure he understood and I drew a picture of a cliff and I put a stick figure on one side and I and I put a chasm and I drew another cliff and down at the bottom I put the word sin and I I basically said this is God on this side and this is you on this side and the problem is we want to get to God and the thing that keeps us from God is our sin how do we cross that chasm? How do we make it from where we're at to where God is? And in the middle, I drew a cross. And I put the cross from one side of the cliff to the other side of the cliff. And I said, there's only one way to Jesus. There's only one way to God. And it's through what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And I witnessed to him and I talked to him. And he pushed the paper back to me. And he said, Pastor, he said, I can't believe that it's that easy. He said, I've calculated it. I've gone over the figures in my mind. And the bottom line is I've disallowed that. I don't believe that. I won't accept that. There's got to be something that you do. What this passage is saying, you that have tasted and seen that the Lord is gracious. He said, you came You came to that Savior, and he's not a dead Savior. He's a living stone that was disallowed by his own people. Scripture says he came into his own. If you read that in the Greek language, he came into his own things, the things that he created, the things that he made, and they received him not. You see, the scripture says that he was disallowed, but (laughs) don't you love those holy conjunctions, huh? Especially when they put it right in front of God. But notice what the Bible says, but he was chosen of God. Oh, can I help you with something? Can I help you with something? I want to make sure you have good theology. Jesus dying on the cross wasn't plan B. Scripture says that Jesus Christ was the lamb that was slain. Listen to this. Before the foundation of the world. God knew before he made man. God knew before the world was created that someday he would send his son. And someday that son would die. And someday he'd pay the price. And God's wrath would be propitiated in Christ. He'd be satisfied with his sacrifice. And he knew it. He was chosen. Man, we've got a great salvation. 
Our God knew from the start what we'd do. He knew from the start what Adam and Eve would do. And the bottom line, he says, listen, Jesus, you need to go redeem them. You need to pay the price. You're chosen. As far as God was concerned, before there ever was a world, before ever Adam and Eve ever lived, Jesus Christ died. Wow. Come on, does that not at least give you the Baptist goosebumps? He was chosen. Scripture said he was chosen of God and he's precious. How could anyone be a rival to a God like that? He's precious. He's valuable. He's highly esteemed because he came as a Messiah, and he was rejected of his own people, but he was chosen by God. And we came to him as a living stone. Whew. Come on, is that? That's good preaching, even if I am doing it. So the Bible says that Jesus is precious because our Jesus has no rival. But look at verse 5. Let's go a step further. Why is Jesus so precious? Because there's no relationship without Jesus. Look at verse number 5. Look what happens when you come to Jesus. You also as lively stones. Now notice the connection with the previous verse. Scripture says that Jesus is a living stone. And now he says, you that have come to him, you're lively stones. Now, there's two interpretations here, and I'm not smart enough to know which one's the right one, so I'll give you both of them. How's that? And we'll let you choose whichever one you think the Holy Spirit is. Aren't you glad that it's not Pope Phil <laughs> has to tell you what to believe? Aren't you glad that you're a believer priest and that you can choose to interpret the scripture the way the Holy Spirit reveals it to you in your heart? Come on, if you don't understand that, you don't understand what being a Baptist is. We don't have a hierarchy. Pastor ain't the one with all the answers. Holy Spirit is. You listening to me? So here's what it's saying. The lively stones there could be a picture of a spiritual building that God's building, and that building could be the church. We came to Christ. He put us in a building. And by the way, that fits with the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul talks about the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul says that, that some are eyes and some are ears and some are fingers and some are toes and some are, <laughs> in a Baptist church, many are tongues. <laughs> that was a joke. You can laugh at that. And it could be that he's talking about the church. It could be that the lively stones here is that building, that spiritual building that he's been making since Acts chapter 1. And when Peter stands to preach in Acts chapter 2 and the church is off and rolling with 3,000 converts. And maybe it's talking about every person that's come to Christ since that Pentecost sermon way back in Acts chapter 2, all the way back to, listen to this, June the 24th, 2018. Maybe it's talking about every person that's been saved. Could be. If you have that interpretation, I think that's a good one, don't you? 
Sounds good to me. Let me tell you what I think it means. Let me tell you the one I choose. I believe it's talking about this. Take your Bibles and turn over to 1 Corinthians. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You got your Bibles? Bible says 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul's talking to the church at Corinth and basically he's dealing with them about uh, buying meat and going to the temple meat market and eating at the shambles and, 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 and eating meat that's been offered to an idol, okay? And he's calling on them basically to say, hey, bottom line is you need to recognize that when you got saved that your body has now become the inhabitant of the Holy Spirit. Your body now, listen to this, is the temple. That's a spiritual building, isn't it? That's what lively stones are made up into, isn't it? So maybe this is talking about, well, let's look, let's look at the verse. Let's see what it says here. The Bible says what? Verse number 19. By the way, 18 says flee fornication. 18 says every sin a man does without the body but he that commits fornication sins against his own body. You say, Pastor, why is that such a big deal? Because your body, verse number 19, is the inhabitant of the Holy Spirit. You see, you got a lively stone that's built up and it's called a place where the Holy Spirit dwells. Come on, stay with me, yes or no? Do you think it matters what you do in your body? Do you think it matters where your body goes? You think it matters what you put in your body? You think it matters how you treat your body? You say, Pastor, why is that such a big deal? Because the Holy Spirit of God lives within you. Boy, that's easy to forget, isn't it? I don't know if you've thought about this, but the bottom line is everywhere you went last week, you took the Holy Spirit with you. Every activity that you engaged in, he engaged in. And the reason he says that fornication is such a bad deal is, isn't it a shame that a Christian would fornicate and enjoin the Holy Spirit in that act? Come on, you getting what he's saying? This is a yes, this is a no. You getting what he's saying? Yeah, I think we need to be careful. I think we need to be real careful what we do as Christians because God lives in us. The Bible says it like this, Colossians 1:27, that Christ liveth in you. Here's what it says in Galatians 2.20. Come on, you know the verse. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, but yet not I, but who? Man, I don't know the last time you thought about that, but that's a big deal. There's certain things that Christians ought not to do. Are you listening to me? Because Jesus Christ lives in you. listening? 
Peter writes, you're lively stones. You're built up into a spiritual house. Now he leaves that analogy of being a spiritual building, a spiritual temple, and then he goes a step further and he says now, he says you're holy priest. Look at that. Let's read it again. He says in verse 5, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by who? Jesus Christ. Now, God lives in me. God has built a spiritual building that houses the Holy Spirit inside of me. And then he goes a step further. Now, don't laugh here. I don't want you to laugh. It's not right to laugh at this. He says, you're a holy priest. You're looking at Priest Martin. By the way, look in the mirror. You're a priest too. You said, well, man, pastor, I never knew that. Look down to verse number nine. Look, same chapter, same chapter. He says in verse number nine, he says, you are a chosen generation. You are what? Come on, let's all say it together. A chosen generation, you're what? A royal, a royal priesthood. You say, well, pastor, I, I'm a woman. Hey, welcome to the New Testament. <laughs> you can be a priest if you're saved. You're a spiritual building that God has inhabited with the Holy Spirit. It's not me. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's not Phil that lives. It's Christ that lives in me. And now he says, Phil, listen to me. You are a priest. Wow. Hey, is that kind of cool? Come on. Do you think that's semi-cool? Some of you say, that ain't cool at all, Pastor. <laughs> yeah, it really, truly is. Now, you say, what's the big deal about being a priest? Well, look what it says in this passage. He says, to offer up spiritual sacrifices. You say, what does that mean? Take your Bible, and you know where I'm going to turn. Turn over to Romans chapter 12. Turn over to Romans chapter 12. Now take it, come on, some of you guys, well, I know that verse, I don't need to look at that one. Go ahead and look at it anyways. Paul says, verse number one, I beseech thee. Now, I'm going to be real honest with you. I've, I've been talking for 64 years, pretty regular, and beseech is not one of my vocab words. I didn't beseech anybody all last week one time. Last time the cop pulled me over, he didn't say, I beseech thee to drive slower. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Now, the way we'd say it today is I implore you. In fact, if you really want to get down brass tacks, this is the way it would read literally. It says, Paul says, I am on my knees and I am begging you. That's the word. That's the word. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Let me ask you a question, class. Who's he talking to? How many want to bet a brethren's talking about being a Christian? Now, how many of you are Christians today? So guess who he's talking to? Usums. I don't know if that's a word or not, but it works for me. He's talking to us, isn't he? 
He said, I beseech you, I beg you, I implore you by the mercies of God. Now, what's he saying? If you read in the context, Paul's been talking about salvation and he basically goes through this whole long explanation of what it is that happened to us. We were sinners and without a doubt, we're without excuse. And then he says, hey, bottom line is the way you get saved, you get saved the same way Abraham got saved. You get saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And then he talks about that, that uh, identification principle in Romans chapter 6. He says, Christ died, you died. Christ was buried, you were buried. Uh, Christ was raised, you were raised. And then in chapter 7 he says, now, by the way, you still got the flesh, don't walk in the flesh. He said, the victory's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're going to live for Christ, it's not you trying harder. It's Jesus living through you. You listening to you? He does a little parenthetical section about Israel, chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11. And really, we don't have even time to scratch the surface of that. But by the time you get to chapter 12, based on what I've said... Based on what you know about salvation, he says the bottom line is, I beg you, I implore you, I'm on my knees and I'm begging you. Present your bodies. You say, Pastor, where does Jesus live? Where does the Holy Spirit inhabit? I just told you that. Please, please help me here. Yeah, okay. Present your bodies. Notice a living sacrifice. Peter says, hey, did you know you're a royal priest? Do you know that you offer a sacrifice? You say, pastor, what sacrifice do we offer? We offer ourselves. We come to God and we say, God, listen, I don't know what today holds, but these hands are yours. Lord, I don't know what today holds, but this brain is yours. Lord, I don't know what's going to happen to me today, but where my feet walk, it belongs to you. Lord, I don't have any idea what today holds, but listen to me. I know sooner or later, Carolyn, are you listening? I'm going to say something with my mouth. And Lord, what comes out of my mouth, it belongs to you. I present my body. I present my being. I present myself. I'm offering you a sacrifice and priest Phil is putting himself on the altar. Wow. That's quite a sacrifice. You say, Pastor, what's your big trouble? I'll tell you what my big trouble is. Every once in a while, I want to say what I want to say. I'll tell you what my trouble is. Every once in a while, I want to think what I want to think. I'll tell you what my trouble is. Every once in a while, I want to walk where I want to walk. And instead of presenting my body a living sacrifice, I said, now, Lord, I can handle it today. I can take care of this. We'll be all right. And the Lord says, you know, Phil, as a priest, you're not doing a very good job. You're not doing much of a spiritual sacrifice. Come on, you getting what I'm saying? This is a yes. This is a no. You getting what I'm saying? You know, I don't know about you, but I found that living the Christian life is daily. Sometimes it's hourly. Sometimes it's every minute. And 
you know, once in a while he gets down to seconds. And I have to make a decision. Lord, I give you myself again. Lord, I'll offer my sacrifice. Lord, as priests fill, I put myself back on that altar. I belong to you. Because it's not Phil doing it. It's Christ, the hope of glory. It's not Phil living it. It's Christ living in me. Well, spiritual sacrifices. I, I don't have time to turn, but will you trust me? I, I'm, how many want to bet I'm not going to get done with my sermon? Some is there. Yeah, I know. And a bunch of them have been working all afternoon and they're going, shut up. <laughs> and I don't blame them. I know my wife's been down here since 2 o'clock and she's probably in the nursery praising God for me right now. Saying, Lord, put a cork in that mouth. <laughs> Did you know the Bible talks about in Hebrews 13? I don't have time to turn. Will you just trust me? The Bible says that we offer the sacrifice of the praise of our lips. By the way, if we believe that, if we believe that, I don't think we'd ever have problems singing the songs we sing at church. We'd probably turn them stupid phones off, quit checking our emails, and actually engage in worship. Because I can offer the sacrifice of the praise of my lips. You ever think about that? Mm -hmm. By the way, when you come to church, don't you ever forget this. You come to church and there's the audience of one. Mm -hmm. And when you sing, you sing for Jesus. Amen. And when you pray, you pray to Jesus. Amen. And when you read your Bible, <laughs> it's for Jesus. Amen. And every time you open your mouth, you can offer him the sacrifice of praise. Why? Because you're a priest. How do you like that? I can sacrifice my body. I can put my, my body as a living sacrifice, but I can praise God with my lips. Let me show you one last thing. I'll be done. I'm going to get two verses. I thought I'd get four, but that's the way it goes. Look, look back to 1 Peter again. Look at verse number 1, or chapter 2, verse number 9 again. He says in verse number 9, he says, You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy people, a holy nation, a peculiar. <laughs> I met some of them. Anyways, a peculiar people. That you, notice this, that you should show forth the praises of him that called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. By the way, you got maybe a newer translation that says that you proclaim. You proclaim Jesus Christ. You say, what do you do as a priest? Everywhere you go, you proclaim Jesus. What do you do as a priest? 
Everywhere you do, everywhere you go, you find people that are living in darkness and you say, let me tell you where I found the light. Come on, you get what I'm saying tonight? Listen, I used to live in darkness and I used to know what, what it's like to be where you're at, but I found the light of lights and his name is Jesus Christ and now I'm publishing him. That's what the word means. Everywhere I go, I'm telling folks about Christ because that's what a priest does. Isn't that fantastic? What does a priest do? He offers himself as a living sacrifice. What does a priest do? Oh, he praises God with the sacrifice of his lips. And then he proclaims Jesus and he says, let me tell you where I found the light. I used to be in darkness, but I was translated into the kingdom of light by Jesus Christ. By the way, how good a priest are you? That's a good question, isn't it? You have a royal priesthood. God made you a priest. How are you doing your sacrifices? These aren't going to be mud flaps, I hope, someday. You get what it's saying? Now, tell me, is that a fantastic passage, yes or no? Isn't that great? You say, Pastor, why is Jesus so precious? He's a living stone. He was disallowed. But we came to him. And he's chosen of God. And he's precious. You say, Pastor, why is Jesus so precious? Because he took a bunch of knuckleheads like us. And he saved us. And he made us priests. And he says, now you can worship me with the praises of your lips. And you can sacrifice your body as a living, as a living sacrifice. And you can proclaim me everywhere you go how precious I am. It's fantastic, isn't it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for our folks. Thank you for their dedication to you. Lord, some of them are tired tonight. Some of them work so hard today. God, we just pray that you'd help them. Lord, may there be a spiritual rest that you give them. Even though physically they're wore out, physically they've expended their energy, Lord, bring them that satisfaction and that peace and that shalom, that wholeness that only you can give. May you give them a rest that this world knows nothing about. God, as we come to you tonight, you are precious. You're valuable. You're highly esteemed. And we're so grateful. Speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand and sing. We've got some folks tonight that we want to give an opportunity. I know we've got some that need to make a public profession of faith, and we want them to do that.
So I have no idea what we're fixing to sing, but we're going to sing something and we're going to stand. And as we do, if you're going to make a public profession of faith, I encourage you to come tonight. We'd like to introduce you to the audience and tell them what God's done to you. By the way, hasn't he done something for you today? Hey, sure he has. Sure he has. Let's stand. Brother Craig, lead us in a song. We're going to do Lord, You Are More Precious, Walter, back there. We're going to do that again. Lord, You are more precious than silver. Lord, You are more costly than Nothing I desire compares with you. you All right, thank you, Bissidi. Brother Craig, would you like to talk sure. about her? I can. I, I can. That's do Brother Craig. Go ahead. All right, this is Katie Pearson. She got saved yesterday morning, and she wants you to know about it. All God's people said. Amen. All right, Katie, thank you. You may be seated. James Anderson, uh, would you stand, please? James, uh, a couple weeks ago, trusted Christ as his Savior, and he wanted you to know about it also. And all God's people said, you pray for these folks. Pray for them, and, and uh, they're working on some things in their life. Good message for them tonight, too, so great message. Pastor? I'm sorry. You're the one that told me. I thought you were the one that knew. Won't be the first mistake I made today. And the day is still young, so there's a chance we'll make another one. Amen. Now, will you do me a favor? Let me talk to you as your pastor. We got some eternal things that are happening this week. And there's some young boys and girls that are going to come and hear about Jesus Christ. I had a man this morning that got me aside and he said, you know, I got my granddaughter here this week. And the reason I brought her here this week is because I want her to go to vacation Bible school. And he said, Pastor, will you pray that she gets saved this week? Sure. That's the easiest prayer I'll have all week. You know, it'd be a shame to go to this much trouble and to work this hard and not have God's blessing. So you say, Pastor, what do you want us to do? <laughs> I want you to pray. I want you to ask the Lord. Every time you think about it, if you want to ask him 50 times in one day, amen. amen. Go for it. Lord, help the workers. Lord, give them strength. I know they're going to work all day, and then they're going to go down there and work their buns off for a couple hours. It's going to be hot. God, take good care of them. Give them patience. Make them spiritual. And Lord, if you ever did anything, make the gospel plain so that those little kids get saved. Don't you think that'd be a good prayer? By the way, if this many people right here prayed that 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 times a day, I honestly believe God would hear us. Don't you? Let's ask him to 